Today's episode is brought to you by Care Connected. Care Connected is an Australian virtual health clinic who offers a range of helpful services tailored to the specific needs of our rare and less common cancer community. They offer several personalized cancer care plans that can be delivered anywhere via video calls and telehealth services. Care Connected are accredited by the Australian Council on Healthcare Services, but we'll tell you more during the mid-episode break. Hope is the thing with feathers that perches in the soul and sings the tune without the words and never stops at all. From the poem, Hope is a Thing with Feathers by Emily Dickinson. From Rare Cancers Australia, this is Radio Rare. We, we have a, a lovely story about uh, a father and a son walking along a beach and they come around the corner and there's about 10,000 starfish stranded on the beach and the little boy goes up to the first starfish that he sees and he picks it up and he throws it back in the water and then he picks up another one and he picks up another one and the father says, there's too many, you can't make a difference. And the little boy turns around and picks up another one and throws him back in the water and says, I made a difference to that one. And, mm. and that's very much our, our philosophy. As Dr. Emily just said, you're listening to Radio Rare the podcast where we share the stories of those in and around the rare and less common cancer community. And as you may have guessed it, I'm joined today by our very own Dr. Emily Isham for this, the finale of season one. Emily, how are you? Morning, James. Well, thanks. That's good. So with this being the last episode, I thought it would be nice to ask Dr. Emily some questions for a change. So Dr. Emily, what was your favorite moment in season one of Radio Rare? Thanks for asking, James. I really enjoyed uh, everyone I talked to was just really so inspirational, really. And I particularly enjoyed hearing from Tanya Rice Brading um, and the story behind what's happened to their family, um, the devastation they've endured, but also how they came to establish the Cooper Rice Brading Foundation. And the other person I enjoyed speaking to was Jessica Bean from Patient Voice Initiative who has showed just so much tenacity through her previous challenges with her own health and is now using her experiences to help speak out for others going through similar and amplify their voices on a much larger scale. I started working in advocacy, I guess, uh, at a really young age. Advocacy probably being code for opinionated and bossy, but there was just something that was within me that was a desire to do something purposeful with my life. But despite my experience in that area, I was very resistant to working in the health space because I felt that it was kind of selfish to be talking about me and my experience. But one day somebody pointed out to me that Perhaps that if I wasn't, if I had these skills, but I wasn't using them to share in a way that could benefit others in the health space, that it was those people that I could represent that were missing out. It was very, very difficult for our family. I wanted to, I think I wanted to pull the doona over my head and not come out for a couple of days, but you don't have that luxury. You know that you have to go into overdrive. You know that there is absolutely nothing more important than supporting your child and your family. 
through this process and uh, and that's the way it works. What you might want to do and what you have to do are two entirely different things. We'll be back to that later in the episode, but for today's interview, we're taking it back to where we began. Dr. Emily sits down and talks again with Rare Cancers Australia CEO, Richard Vines, as he takes us behind the curtain and talks about how RCA came to be and why the need is so great. But first... Actually, James, I think I'll do this one. A reminder more relevant than ever that whilst you may be one of only a handful of people with your cancer in Australia, added together, all those rare and less common cancers make up a community of tens of thousands of people here in Australia. If you or your caregiver ever need to speak to someone, our specialist cancer navigators are here for you. Reach out on 1800 257 600 or email support at rarecancers.org.au. Nailed it. Richard, can you please tell us a bit about Rare Cancers Australia? Yeah, yeah, uh, sure, Emily. Look, Rare Cancers was formed in 2012. It came as a direct result of Kate, my my wife and co-founder, having lived with a rare cancer for now 29 years. And it was her oncologist who suggested that we set up the organisation because he felt that the system, the health system that we live in, was not sufficiently attuned or focused to the to the welfare of people with rare cancers and in fact rare diseases and pretty much the easiest way to describe it is that our system works on the basis of the greatest good for the greatest number things like the PBS were established for for the wide distribution of antibiotics and blood pressure tablets those kind of things and uh, population wide diseases I, I guess is how you describe it and when it gets down to to very rare diseases and particularly cancers, the system starts to show cracks. And, and largely, it's, it's very simple to explain why, which is that the way that we decide as a, as a country what, what treatments we will pay for through the PBS and, and through Medicare for that matter is based on, on really strict, super strict guidelines of, of evidence of its effectiveness and its effectiveness in comparison to other treatments that are already available. So if you could imagine that that what what might what you might be you might produce a new drug for a breast cancer patient. Now the question is, when the government looks at it, it says, should we include this? Should we include this new drug as part of the PBS? And if so, what price is reasonable to pay? And the way that they do that is they look firstly, does the drug work? And then they say, how does it? How well does it work in comparison to to other drugs? So, um, for example. If a drug, a new drug, extended the life of a, an advanced breast cancer patient by two years, then essentially what they do is say, hey, we get an extra two years of life and wellness for this person, and we roughly value that. There's no published figure, but we think we roughly value that at $50,000 a year. So they would be prepared to pay perhaps $100,000 more uh, for that treatment than they would for the existing treatments. And that's generally how drugs go through a very, very complicated process. Now, if you think about it and you've got a disease like, for example, salivary gland cancer, adenoid cystic carcinoma, which might only have 50 patients a year, it's very hard to produce any evidence. And sometimes you're looking at a treatment for a cancer that never had a treatment, so there's nothing to compare it to. 
So all of these these quirks of the system work against drugs being reimbursed for rare cancers. And and that's one part of the work that we do. We try to put proposals to government that that in, that increase and activate the number of treatments available for us. But the strange thing that people don't realize is that you could have a treatment, for example, with been a lot of talk about a drug called Keytruda, which is currently reimbursed for melanoma, but it, the way the system works, it's reimbursed. The decision to reimburse a drug is taken on individual cancers. So my, my classic example of that is you could, you could have two twin brothers who worked all their life. They could be, say, 65 years old and they've worked 40 years each. They've paid identical amount of tax and on the same day, they're diagnosed with cancers. One is diagnosed with melanoma and the other is diagnosed with salivary gland cancer. They both go to the same oncologist and the same oncologist says, I think you should both have Keytruda. And they've made exactly the same contribution to our society. Now, the guy on melanoma, a guy who has melanoma will pay essentially nothing, $30 a month or something like that for his treatment. The guy who has salivary gland cancer, just simply because it's rare, will pay $10,000 a month. That That's very much mm. part of the problem that we're trying to solve. Because they haven't got the evidence of that working in salivary gland cancer because they don't have the number of people to test it in. That's right. It's partly the creation of evidence because we clinical trials to, to create evidence are expensive. And it's also because it costs a lot of money to make a submission to government to get a drug mm. reimbursed on the PBS. And so if you're the company that has a drug you and you think, oh, I can I can apply to have this drug reimbursed for prostate cancer or I can have it apply to have it reimbursed for salivary gland cancer, but I don't have enough staff to do make two separate applications and I don't think I've got enough evidence, then clearly you're not going to apply. And that's the bit that we're trying, we'd love to fix. We'd love a situation where people can apply to have a drug reimbursed across multiple cancer types at once. And we don't think that's an unreasonable ask. The system just has to recognize that rare is different. And how are you thinking they're going to look at at fixing this system? What are they starting to look at in the cancers to work out whether they can use the same drugs across different cancers? I think there's got to be firstly an understanding and a willingness to look at it. And a couple of years ago at one of our Canberra forums, the health minister instructed the chair of the PBAC, the Pharmaceutical Benefits Advisory Committee, to look at the possibility of pan-tumor or multi-tumor indications. That was the first sign that there was a willingness to look at how that might be done. There was an inquiry and there were some really good suggestions that came out of it. And in the midst of everything that happened, the inquiry reported to the minister just before the election and it was referred to the Department of Health. Uh, and there were some really good logical suggestions in there. And it all sort of has, since the re-election of the Morrison government and everybody everything that went on around that. And now with COVID, it's kind of fallen off the mm. agenda a bit, but it needs to be brought back. And that's part of what we do. And, wh- and while we're doing that sort of advocacy and that kind of policy work, we're also looking after patients day to day. We have a, a lovely story about uh, a father and a son walking along a beach and they come around the corner and there's about 10,000 starfish stranded on the beach and the little boy goes up to the first starfish that he sees and he picks it up and he throws it back in the water and then he picks up another one and then he picks up another one and the father says, don't waste your time, son, there's too many, you can't make a difference. And the little boy turns around and picks up another one and throws him back in the water and says, I made a difference to that one. And mm. and that's very much our, our philosophy with 
how we look at individual, our patient care team is looking after as many people, as many starfish as we can pick up and put them back in the water. And clearly the ideal for that is to find a way to raise the tide so that all of those people are safe. So we do, we're trying mm. to do two things at once. And we're getting there. We've been really successful in getting a lot more money into rare cancer research. And once that money goes into research, we, the consequence of that potentially is, is evidence that we need a more flexible mechanism within the health system to reimburse and make drugs, drugs not just drugs, but all treatments available to, to patients. Coming up after the break, Richard and I talk about the future of cancer care in Australia and the direction he thinks we need to go in. Doing a lot of work around coronavirus, it's important that we do it. That we also remember that that some of that there are there are tens of thousands of people out there at the moment living with cancer, and and our health system has to hold up with coronavirus as an extra, not a replacement. Yeah, that's right. Cancer doesn't stop during a pandemic. That and more coming up after some words from our partner, Care Connected, and our very own patient support team. Care Connected offers several personalised cancer care plans that can be delivered anywhere via video calls and telehealth services, completely eliminating both travel time and waiting rooms. They offer a vast array of services from qualified and experienced professionals, including dietitians, psychologists, physios, and nursing care coordinators. And the best thing about all of that is you can do it all in your pajamas, and they don't mind at all. They offer a collection of integrated cancer recovery and supportive care pathways, as well as the option to tailor to your specific situation. Learning to live with cancer is one of the hardest things to do, but Care Connected is committed to making it just a little bit easier from anywhere. To learn more, visit www.careconnected.com.au. Our patient support team know that a rare cancer journey is different. We understand it can be hard to find good information, difficult to connect with others in a similar situation, and that you might need someone to chat to about everything that's going on. We are here to listen. We understand RARE and you are not alone. Contact our patient support team on 1800 257 600. Welcome back to Radio RARE. I'm still joined by Dr. Emily and I think it now is a great time for another question. So, Dr. Emily, what have you learnt most from season one? Oh, James, there is so much. There is so much. But I think the most distinct thing that I can say that I've definitely learned with a lot of emphasis throughout is that those living with cancer, whether they are carers or patients, often have developed such remarkable resilience and incredible motivation to advocate for themselves or for those in their care. So even though they're going through so many challenges, they can still rise above and and continue fighting or or pushing forward. And despite the uncertainty of being at the mercy of cancer, there is a certain 
being okay with not knowing that is really unusual and really quite breathtaking. I think it's probably a little bit inevitable in some ways that that we we are forced to to, to feel a bit a bit awful if you want to call it that, um, and and there really isn't a way. That, I don't think there's any way we can rationalise that away and and fix it with you know three or four clever you know strategies that psychologists come up with. Um, maybe it's just that we have to feel awful for a while. Um, I often say to people, you know. Feeling uh, that life goes up and down. You know, we, we have good days, we have bad days. There's a, a book out that written a while ago now, but it was called The Happiness Trap. And in this book, the author argues that if you set happiness as your kind of goal, you're going to be in trouble <laughs> because happiness isn't the natural state of human beings. We have good days, but we have bad days. And, and coming to understand that and to work out how to sit with that is, a, is going to be pretty important in this. Unless you've got a magic wand, you're going to have good days and bad days, and the bad days may well be you know, inevitable, but, but they pass, which is the thing to hang on to. You know, if you're having a bad day, then you can be reasonably confident that somewhere down the track, and particularly if you can get a bit of a sense of achievement, you know, it'll start to feel a little bit better. Immediately, even before leaving the room with oncologist, and while still he's talking, I was starting to think, okay, so this happens. What are we going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to be with Lindy? So many things just rush without permission to, to my head. This was really hard. And by time, I tried to manage, well, it is what it is. Um, let's deal with, with the whole situation one step at a time. So this was my, my strategy with her, with myself, with anyone else around us. It is what it is now. There's no way how it happened. Why didn't we find it before? The chemo did not work. Okay, that was passed. Now what's the next step? Next step is surgery. Let's do surgery then. Let's just enjoy life. Let's enjoy and appreciate the moment that we are in now together. And whatever happens, happens. Whatever happens, we'll, we'll worry about. We'll worry about it later when it happens. So this was pretty much our strategy. Let's just deal with things one step at a time. When we left, Richard shared with us some of the ways the current system leaves rare and less common cancers out in the cold. But there is still hope as we dive back in and see how RCA is trying to fix it. So you've got the the fundraising arm to raise money to support the organisation and also the patients. You've got the patient care team to individually reach out to those patients and their families. And you've got the advocacy going on, speaking into uh, political decisions and um, talking to various health ministers. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. And one of the things that we we, we keep trying to do as an organisation, and and one of one of the initiatives out of rare cancers today is something called the National Oncology Alliance, which actually brings together all of the key all of the key players. So we've 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 set up an informal alliance that brings together uh, clinicians, patient groups, patients, pharmaceutical companies, radio oncology companies. Uh, increasingly, we're reaching out to people like private health insurers and private hospitals, bringing everybody into the tent to discuss how we're going to deal with treating cancer patients broadly over the next 10 to 15 years because the rate of change is dramatic. Some of the costs associated with treatments are dramatic and uh, 
And the way in which cancer patients are being treated now is changing so dramatically. So we, you and I have talked a lot about, and you've had direct experience of CAR-T, but CAR-T is not $1,000 or $10,000 a month. It's a one, a one-time expense. It's a one-time treatment. And, uh, and our system's not geared up to paying four or $500,000 for a one-time treatment that's potentially curative. So mm. we have to work through that. And we've seen that in, we've, we've managed to get through it for the first two indications that, that you know, it's now available in Australia, but there's a, an avalanche of those kinds of cell therapies and gene therapies coming and our system needs to be adapted to, to be able to cope. And, and to approve and them faster. To approve them faster and we're going to have to work out smart ways of funding. And mm. we're talking, you know, we, we, we're talking here today in the middle of a government, you know, looking at spending vast amounts of money to get the country through the coronavirus pandemic mm. and out of that we're going to have to come up with innovative clever ways to make sure that that when we when we're trying to pay down that debt that we can still treat cancer patients responsibly mm. ethically and and that's going to be there's no question that's going to be a challenge and we, we we believe it's better for us to bring people together to talk about those issues and take constructive proposals to government rather than just leaving the problem with the government and mm. and then whinging about it if they don't get it right Mm. So how is Rare Cancers Australia different to other patient advocacy organisations, Richard? I think if I, if I was to define our difference, it's that we've tried to be, we recognise the need to be more broadly engaged across the cancer community where we're trying every day to bring people together to talk about problems. When I, I looked at it um, in the early in 2014 and 15, and I, I described it once, I thought, thought that the pharmaceutical industry and the government were like kids in the schoolyard throwing rocks at each other and, and blaming each other for the challenge. One saying that it's no good us trying to apply to have drugs reimbursed because the system is just too rigid. And the government saying we can't approve or consider anything because you haven't made an application. That was particularly relevant around rare. And, and if people aren't sitting in the room talking to each other with some level of trust, then not much is going to happen. Mm. So we've, we've worked really, really hard to try and find ways to, to bring everybody together. And, and we've been different in that we've not some patient groups, and sometimes it works really well for um, if you have a patient group that is set up around a single disease, then sometimes marching up and down and, and waving banners and being you know, quite shouty about it might get you a specific drug reimbursed or it might help create pressure to get a drug or a treatment reimbursed. We deal every day with hundreds of different types of rare cancers. We, we need to get the system right. We do advocate for individual drugs, but our primary focus is trying to get a better, fairer system because mm. the, the, the number of cancer types and the number of cancer types is increasing every day. You know, we talk about lung cancer now as though it's one disease. It's not mm. one disease. It's multiples. It's multiples of subtypes. And if you like, every day, cancer across the spectrum is getting rarer and that's creating bigger, bigger problems for reimbursement and access to medicines. And that's combined with every day that there are more and more treatments becoming available. And we've got a number of issues of getting them into Australia, firstly, because we're not a big market, and then getting them reimbursed and available. There's a lot going on. Because mm, whilst we say rare cancers, and it sounds like they're rare, there is 
there are quite a few rare and less common cancers. And if you group them together, it makes up a significant portion of those who have cancer in Australia. Yeah, well, we rare and less common cancers, which is our sort of standard definition, um, accounts for 30% of all cancer diagnosis, so about 50,000 people a year, and 50% of all deaths, which is around mm. 20 to 25,000. And it's, it's useful at a time when we are doing a lot of work around coronavirus. It's important that we do it, that we also remember that that some of that there are there are tens of thousands of people out there at the moment living with cancer, and and our health system has to hold up with coronavirus as an extra, not a replacement. Yeah, that's right. Cancer doesn't stop during a pandemic. No, someone said to me, um, one of the leading clinicians said, coronavirus doesn't kill cancer, and we need to just stay focused. And, it, and it's complex because it does have implications for people who are um, immunocompromised, people who've had chemotherapy have mm. to be doubly careful because their system's been smashed by the previous cancer treatments. Mm, exactly. So we need to keep going with this work with as much strength as we can during this time, especially, I think. That's right. And I think we're, we're very, we've been very strategic about building a team of people that is, that w- you would perhaps not typically find in a, in a cancer charity. Um, people like, people like you, Emily, people like Dr. Amanda Ruth, who, who has a PhD in immunology and has worked in, at a very high level in the cancer community over a number of years and is our head of policy. People like Christine Coburn, who, you know, really bringing extreme talent and, and competence into our, mm. into our world. And, and essentially on, on Christine's team, who's now leading our patient care team, we see that as a, as a new allied health profession being cancer navigation. And we're putting a lot of time and effort into making sure that the, our members of that team are really, really well, well-trained, well-equipped. And we're, we think that to be Credible and competent in navigating the system. We're not looking at clinical care, but there's so much else that goes in and around looking after a cancer patient that we need to be need to have the best possible people doing the best possible job. Sounds like quite the organisation, and uh, and I appreciate that I've been brought on board. So thank you, Richard. Thanks for talking to us today. Really appreciate you uh, clarifying what rare cancer is about and and what our mission is and how we can support um, all those patients out there. Thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, Emily, and thanks. This is it's really important work that you're doing, and we greatly appreciate it. And so Radio Rare Season 1 comes to a close, and we hope you've enjoyed it. It's been amazing to make it and to give those without a voice in our community a platform to share their own story. Which reminds me, Emily, if you don't mind, I have one last question for you. Go for it, James. If you had to pick one takeaway message from Season 1, one glimmer of hope in these hectic times, what would it be? Just one. Well, I'm encouraged that despite cancer, often feeling like such a dark, desolate space, there is actually so, so much happening behind the scenes, whether it be organisations that are advocating behind the scenes or carers working in unpaid roles, researchers, scientists and doctors looking into improving treatments and access to treatments and making their patients' experiences a lot more straightforward, families and businesses fundraising and raising awareness, and patients continuing to advocate for themselves and others in their position. It's been extraordinary, and I'm so glad we've been able to shine 
a bit of a light on some aspects of what's happening. Absolutely right. And I do glaze over it and I do gloss over it and I do, and I am a little bit trite about it. But if I really sit down and think back to the moment, they were, yeah, it's really, it's like, a, it's like running a marathon. Cancer treatment is like running a marathon and it's all in your head. It's a real mental game. There's an, it's an endurance activity that is very, very, very challenging every day, every hour every week, every month that it goes on. It's, and it's, it's very, I felt very like I was the only one running the race despite being really well supported. I still was the only one going through it. So I had to really coach myself, I think, in a, mentally I had to get myself through it. through that even though times may be tough it's no good looking and thinking i'm going to die i'm going to die i'm going to die it's much better and healthier through for your body and everyone else as well you know to the i'm okay now um i can walk today or, or you know i can eat today i feel hungry today this is good you know i can i can smell the fresh air and i can hear the birds and i can see the sun and you know, sometimes as hippie as that may sound, that's just small steps, you know, and it's just small things, but you learn how it affects you in real time and in real life doing during some of the extreme hard times. And with that, we'll make our last bow. The rest of season one will remain, however. So scroll back if you'd like to hear more stories, such as insights into Richard's life as a carer, all the way back at episode one. Stay tuned, though, because we're not done here. Come September, we are planning to launch our new bite-sized show, the aptly named Rare Bites, where we give you a snapshot insight into some of the topics that are a little too hard to talk about and perhaps give you some of the answers you've been looking for. Until then, I'm James Matthews and Emily, why don't you round this one out? Thanks, James. I'm Dr. Emily Isham. You are not alone and we are the Rare Cancers community. I'll catch you next time. Radio Rare is produced in-house at Rare Cancers Australia and is hosted by Dr. Emily Isham and me, James Matthews. Narrative writing and mixing of today's episode by Alexander Smith. Reporting by Dr. Emily Isham. We are edited by Christine Coben and myself, and our episode music is from Audioblocks. You can listen to all of our episodes for free on our website, and you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Simply search Rare Cancers Australia and click the subscribe or follow button at the top of the page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn to keep up to date with written stories from patients, carers, and information regarding rare cancers. Thank you for listening. We'll be back shortly with our next episode.